It's episode 36 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garchinski, and joining me today is J.P. Breen and Ryan Top. And hey, you can still get us through your favorite podcast app. We're not just available on Facebook Live, right? Yes, yes, we are. We are a multi-platform, multi-platform. Because uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of people who were pissed at the game. Oh, what was that Wednesday? Last Wednesday? Yes, game? I was pissed that it was. Yes, <laughs> I did not appreciate that. No. You don't like it on on alternate platforms or social media sites? Well, I'd rather just not have Facebook in my life at this point. But yeah, it was, it was weird when the outs turned to nets. <laughs> that's a timely joke, Steve. That's that's good timely stuff. Okay. So, uh, anyways, I don't know, JP. Did you watch it on Facebook? I did not. Okay. Uh, I I. Wednesday is my busy day. So. Actually, I should say no, I, I know you guys didn't because you could see everybody who was your friend that was watching the game on Facebook while you were watching it. And there were That's, like, and I, I, I did not see that there were like hearts going across the screen and like, yeah, they had hearts and likes. And I think there was a way to turn that off. But I'm like, oh, I just oh, don't want to watch that'd be fantastic. I just don't have the energy. You'd have, like, you'd have like bunting. And so when somebody was sack bunted, you'd have like some hearts and some angry faces all at the same time. Yeah, and they just float by across the screen. Yeah, and then you'd be able to do, you'd be able to see like which which of your fans understand bunting and which of which of them don't. Oh, they probably don't have their name by it, do they? Uh, not the likes and stuff that came floating by. Those were just random. Yeah. It was just kind of yeah. like, oh, here's stuff. Extra stuff on the screen. I see like Steve's face just angrily float across the screen. Uh, yeah, I did that. I, I wrote my own code so I could float my angry <laughs> face across the screen for people. So I don't know. It was fine. It was watching a baseball game. Uh, otherwise, with just terrible announcing. There are several of them. Yeah, oh, the that I heard that, that it was wrong. really bad. They were, they were really bad. Um, I forget who it was from the MLB network. Oh, Paul Severino. No, because he's the Marlins guy now. I don't know. Some kid. He looked like he was, I don't know, straight out of college. Oh, that guy. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. He's the one who fills in for Brian Kenny when he's gone. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. So, well, we'll maybe we'll have that to look forward to again sometime later this summer. Oh, good. So, <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, but you can help fans find this podcast by rating it and reviewing on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKETailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. Yes. You can follow us there, and I think I posted the links once the game was live, if you were looking for it, because there are a lot of people who are confused. <laughs> um, you can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash mketailgate. Our ball and glove level patrons receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. April is Autism Awareness Month, and Carbon 4 is raising money for the cause. So stop by the brewery on Friday, April 20th for Firkin Friday. Make a donation, and you'll receive a pint of uh, this one-of-a-kind beer they have. And if you haven't had a beer from a Firkin before, it's pretty good. Have you had it? I've had Firkins. Yeah. Yes. They actually have a barrel, and they're going to tap it. Fantastic. Not like the big, I wish I could be there. Yeah, not like the big steel, you know, kegs that we talk about, but an actual like barrel to tap. So yeah. That's go, Friday, April 20th. That's okay. Friday, April 20th. You can go to the bar, make a donation, you get some beer. So um all the money raised will be given to the Waysman Center, Geo's Garden, Kindred Kids, and the Children's Theater of Madison. This month's Firkin is a blend of Imperial Apple Ale and Champagne Tortoise, cast conditioned with cinnamon and vanilla beans. So that sounds like it's a dessert? Yes, it's a dessert beer. It is a dessert beer. So grab your friends and head over to Carbon 4's Tap Room on Kinsman Boulevard on Madison's East Side or check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. Milwaukee Steelgate is sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so we had kind of an up-and-down week, um, but there was some good news by Friday. Uh, as Lorenzo Kane got back in the lineup, so the the team's starting to get healthy. Was it good to see Kane? Yeah, I mean it was, and then he ran into Domingo Santana in the outfield, and they both came up a little bit lame, but stayed in the game. 
So that was a little terrifying. You saw that. He also that. overextended trying to like beat a ball to first again. Yeah. And I'm like, Lorenzo, you're fast. Just run through the bag. I'm starting to understand why he just kind of misses games here and there a lot. Because he's, yeah, he, he definitely plays hard that way. Yeah, it's good to see, but... Again, just yes. just run through the bag. You know that that extra flight through the air that you like jam your knee, and and like grind all of your uh, ligaments. That's not a good way to do things. So, grind the ligaments. Yeah, I know. <laughs> jam the ligaments. Stretch the ligaments. What do you do to ligaments? I don't know. I feel like that we shouldn't be allowed to give any kind of medical information <laughs> or advice. I was just saying, don't run like that. Except for we should definitely talk about non-serious concussions and how they're not. Yeah, like a big yeah, deal. yeah. Well, it's baseball. Concussions don't matter. We saying, haven't seen see any that? careers ruined by concussions in baseball. Did you, did you see that uh, Brett Favre the other day on the Today Show said that they, they're pretty sure between, you know, what he remembers and also from, I think, some of the training staff that they're, they estimate that he's had hundreds of concussions? Well, yeah, it's football, I'm sure. And they were, they're still know, wearing but, leather helmets at that time. Yeah. But hun- hundreds of concussions. That's ridiculous. I don't think he's an outlier, but uh, again, I mean. I mean, he played like every snap of every game for a very long time, so. I'd just like to note, I did not bring up football. That was JP. I can bring up the other kind of football, but I can We should. Out. We should talk about that because Liverpool is in the semis, and that is awesome. Yeah, it's, it's great. So um, another issue the Brewers have had since uh, last week is they keep getting short starts. Chase Anderson against the Cubs. And uh, the caveat here, we're recording sa- Saturday afternoon. We're going to have two games before this thing posts where we actually know what happens. Anderson starts again tonight. Yes, he starts versus Nuts on Saturday. He was the last quality start for the Brewers, and he just went six innings. Yeah, nobody has gotten the, what would that be, the 19th out this season? Not it has not happened yet. The longest start has been, you know, six innings, and that's it. So, JP, how much of an issue is that? I, I mean, is that a function of the way they're, you know, running running the rotation? Because I know we do. We have a, a question from Paul Noonan. He asks, uh, "When's this bullpenning going to run out of steam and bury the team? Are they bullpenning? Like, are they just trying to go as many short starts and run? You know." best uh, matchups out of the bullpen or are we just seeing kind of a worst case scenario for the pitching staff right now? Yeah, I think it's just a function of the fact that the starters have largely been poor. They've been throwing a ton of pitches. You've had Zach Davies throw over a hundred innings or throw over a hundred pitches. If only <laughs> I believed, I believe twice already in which he's only gone four innings, but he's thrown a hundred pitches. I mean, he didn't even get and, four innings on Friday night. It was, he got three and a third. I mean, it was that was rough, but it's Shasin has struggled with his command. Brandon Woodruff struggled with his command. Chase Anderson's been the only guy that's really been able to do it. Suter's been able to be lifted early just because of effectiveness, you know, more than efficiency. But it's just a function of the starting rotation right now. Well, and Suter Suter was kind of going to be the bullpenning guy where we expected short starts. Absolutely. And so if you're not going to get longer starts from other people, and Suter is going to give you exactly what you expect. It's a, going to be a string of games in which you're putting a lot of, of pressure on on the bullpen. And one of the big reasons why there's been extra pressure on the bullpen, in my mind, is that Craig Council has been trying to get guys to go multiple innings with regularity, which means you can't necessarily get them to pitch two two days in a row. So when you're covering more innings and guys are going multiple innings and you need multiple guys who go multiple innings per game, it becomes really, really taxing for, for the bullpen, especially once you start getting into those extra inning games. And we saw that at the end of the Cardinal series in which JJ Hoover was pretty much the only option near the end of the game. And that wasn't ideal just, and he got DFA'd, you know, very quickly right after, but it's not, it's not a great I don't think it's necessarily this bullpenning idea for the short starts. I th- I do think that Craig Council has looked at or the organization has looked at using guys in the bullpen for multiple innings when possible. So if that is bullpenning then then yes, that is something that is going to I think continue 
And if you start to get short starts or multiple extra inning games, your bullpen gets taxed very, very quickly. Well, and Ryan and I were talking about before we started recording, I mean, another issue, which it's not a horrible thing, but it's kind of put more pressure on the teams. They, They keep staying in games. So, right. so they can't sit there and just kick a game and say, hey, you know, somebody take take some lumps or we can just really use the back of the bullpen. They're in every game and they're trying to win these games. Well, and they also don't really have like there's no Levon Hernandez on this team. Remember when he would just come in and, you know, soak four innings or something that were just garbage time. They don't really have anybody like that. I mean, I guess Oliver Drake ideally would sort of be used that way, along with a few targeted uses um, in matchup situations. But because of the fact that they just have not gotten anything out of their starters, they've had to use Drake a lot. And I I know that's been to the consternation of a lot of fans. But when you're in the situation they're in where you're trying to cover so many innings from the bullpen, you're going to end up using guys like Oliver Drake in some tight situations. It's just how that's going to go. Now, you can minimize that a little bit more than maybe Council did in that game against the Cardinals. That was, you know, suboptimal. But you're still going to end up using, you know, your worst relievers in some tight situations just because you have to use somebody when you're trying to cover on the regular four or five innings a night. Is is there a possibility they're going to get stuck where they can't call a guy back up because he hasn't been down for 10 days? I mean, we kind of look at a bullpen that's tired and think, oh, they they need to shuttle guys back and forth. That's that's when you get the Rodney Dangerfield, oh, my arm, my arm, and, you know, (laughs) then you can do whatever you want. So, like, they'll, you know, when they have to play that card, they'll play that card, I'm sure. So I think think they're going to have so many relievers down and on the 40-man roster that they're going to be able to rotate it pretty regularly. And Uh, that's, we're already seeing that. They are, we're not looking at a a seven or eight-man bullpen here. We're looking at a 10-man bullpen. They, They just rotate through. Yeah. Um, and, and they're rotating starters, too, which is something that's on top of it. Right. right. They mean, are right now. They've basically got six starters that they're rotating. Right. We'll see what they decide to do with Woodruff as we go forward. I know Garrett is going to make his next start. Yeah, Garrett's so. going to make his next start. I guess my question is when Woodruff, when his when he's available again, are they going to move him? What's what are the chances they move him back into the rotation? And that's when Suter goes to uh, the bullpen. I don't know if he'll go to the bullpen, but he still has options remaining, which they could send him down to AAA. Would they do? But I mean, he's effective, especially mm-hmm. if you then you don't mm-hmm. think Suter's effective at all. No, he's somewhat effective, but he's not. He's you know he's when you talk about a guy who can go out there and soak up some innings though at the back of the bullpen. That's I mean, true. he would have more of that use. Well, but then you if you're using him that way, then you have to basically use him that way. You can't the the advantage of somebody like we were talking about Hernandez. A guy like that, you just don't worry about if he's if he threw an inning the day before, you don't worry about throwing him four innings because he's Levon Hernandez. He has a rubber arm and he's a million. Well, so who cares? I mean, that was the benefit of having Carlos Torres on the team. That was the benefit of having Carlos Torres on the team, and that was something that I think people kind of missed. That that was the advantage of him was he could do that and you could soak those innings. And you I don't think you want to do that with Suter because you don't want to wreck him. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to have him be affected that way. So you have to be a little bit more careful. As far as like the overall bullpen situation. Wait, you think Suter is going to be wrecked? If you start really piling on the, like, if you both pile on innings and appearances, and that's what I was going to kind of get to here is, you can you can use a guy out of the bullpen for a number of innings. And you can also use a guy for a bunch of appearances. But where the danger really comes in is if you're going trying to get both a lot of appearances and a lot of innings. Because that means you're, wow, <laughs> that means you're going, to, uh, you're going to really stress his arm over you know, a, a time period where you, you probably shouldn't be doing that. I don't know. Why, I, I, why I, would you be using him for a ton of innings and a ton of appearances? Then what, when are the other guys going to pitch? Well, that's, we're talking about, because Steve brought up the if he's in the Levon Hernandez role. Well, that was the advantage of the Levon Hernandez role, where you could just use but him a Suter lot. But Suter is prototypically the guy who doesn't throw very hard and doesn't have a lot of stress in his mechanics in which you can throw him a lot. We, you would maybe. We'd have to see it. I, I think you'd still be somewhat cautious about it because you're not trying to Right, but I'm saying if you're looking at career. profile, he's the guy who's got a profile to do it. He, yeah, he potentially could do it. I and and if he can do it, that is his career. That would be that would be an advantage 
to it if if it worked that way. Ryan believes to have the Levon Hernandez role, your name has to be Levon Hernandez. Or you need to be like a million years old. Because at that point, who you know, he doesn't care about wrecking his arm at that point. Like, he's just, you know, whatever. But JP was just saying that he's not a guy that you would have to worry about wrecking his arm. I wouldn't. At least say in the same way. I wouldn't, sure. I wouldn't I mean, say you could never wreck his arm. That would obviously be a little over the top, but it would be. I'm saying I'm saying that if your largest critique right now is that they don't have a Levon Hernandez, my suggestion is that Suter is the best chance that they have for a Levon Hernandez. Not that potentially he couldn't do it because we've never seen him do it. I mean, that's yes, nobody could argue against that. Sure. But it's saying that he's the he is the guy if that's if that's the profile you think the bullpen is missing, Suter is the guy who could potentially do that. Potentially. Yeah. And if they go that direction, that would be, that's, you know, a potential way to get around this okay, and to work on it. If, but then you're talking about quickly, you let's have to get, have other starters. So, we've pretty much hit everything on this. So anyway, about the, the bullpen thing in specific, one thing, if you look at most of their relief pitchers this year, and it's interesting because this is not, the way things were, you know, five years ago in the game, you look at most of the guys, they have more innings than they have appearances. Guys are going multiple innings, not every time they go out and pitch. Sometimes they go out and get, you know, one out like uh, Jeremy Jeffress did the other day. But you have, uh, you have, like, if you look at, uh, besides Hater, Elbers, Drake, yeah, Drake has six appearances in eight innings. Or you look at, uh, Hater, yeah, obviously five appearances and almost eight innings. So guys are covering multiple innings, and that then does necessitate days off. So it does make guys unavailable, and you have to you have to manage that carefully. And I think that that's that's something that Brewer fans are still coming to terms with in terms of Hater. So I know we have a question about that, so I won't step on that right now. But well, anyway. we don't have a question as much as uh, Tom Hodricourt had an article today where Council was asked about Josh Hader moving him into the closer role. And capital C closer. Yeah. Ninth inning, three run leader less, three outs. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Council said he's not ready to do that so far. So, uh, JP, it, is the team going to feel pressured to move Hader into the closer role as long as Knable's out? I don't think so. I think it is going to be a talking point for the fans, but I think that not only does the team value hater in the role that he's in for good reason but i think it's vastly overstated in terms of the trouble they've had in the ninth inning i think matt albers has actually looked quite good um i think that i know jacob barnes had some command issues but even in his like big blown save that everybody was worried about for the cubs we talked about last week that it was largely a function of the defensive performance it wasn't on him you've still got jeremy jeffress who has looked pretty good and I know that everybody wants Hater to go into this ninth inning role because ultimately it makes them feel better. And it's not about actually optimizing the bullpen or optimizing win percentages or anything like that. It's just a it's an emotional comfort thing, which I understand, but it's not it's not anything I think the the organization is going to be doing unless there's an absolute implosion elsewhere. So I mean Josh Hader's the bullpen ace. Would we say that? Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's the guy that all the questions tend to circle around. And we have one from Jerry Eldred who asks, will Josh Hader ever be tried as a starting pitcher? And if not, is that a missed opportunity? So I guess we probably won't see him as a closer. Will he move to being a starter, possibly, Ryan? Well, there, there has been movement towards him getting away from his fastball. I believe his fastball percentage is now down under 70%. He's working towards being a little bit more or less fastball dependent. And that's what we talked about in the off season. Both JP and I have mentioned it on here that haters going to have to show that he can throw other pitches other than his fastball. If he wants to start and get through lineups multiple times, that's a prerequisite to being able to do that. And he's, he seems to be working in that direction, but I wouldn't say, I don't feel like he's there yet. I don't think that that's necessarily on tap in the immediate future, but it hopefully is at least a long-term consideration. They haven't, I don't think they've closed their minds off to it completely, but he's so good in the role that he's been used in. And there is a lot of value in that, that I think there's less inclination. I think if this is five years ago, there would be more of a, well, yeah, we're going to at some point put Hater in the rotation because 
he, that's where you can have the most value because you can get the most innings out of him there. I think the thinking has somewhat changed within baseball and within the Brewers where they see more value there now than there maybe was in the past. So I think it's less likely than maybe it was, but I still think it's, it's at least a consideration. I would hope it's still at least a consideration in the future because that would ultimately, that would be the, the place where his, his value could be the highest. If he can you know, turn over lineups two and three times, that's, the, that's ultimately the best place. But can he do that? We have to see. Okay, JP, Ryan went on and on and on with that answer. So I want you to give me a number. What's the percentage chance that Josh Hader ends up in the rotation? Uh, what's the time frame? Just in general? Ever. Yeah. In general, will he be a starter? Well, I'm asking, Is it? are you asking the percentage that he makes a start or that he moves to the rotation? This was your quick. He moves to the rotation. Here. Uh, 10%. Uh, I mean, do you do you think he's kind of in that role that uh, they would be most likely to keep him in from here on out? I do, because I think there, uh, there are a couple of things I suppose I disagree with Ryan about. Um, number one, I don't think that he's actually moving his repertoire towards something that is more sustainable in the starting rotation because he's actually throwing his change changeup less than he's ever thrown it. And if he does need to be able to move that way, he needs to be able to throw his changeup. He's, he's throwing a slider a lot more, and that that's effective. But multiple times through the rotation of a batting order, he's going to have to be able to throw his changeup against righties. Um, I don't think he's throwing more strikes than normal. I don't think he's more efficient with his pitches. And I also think that the biggest quote, the biggest question mark for him has been his ability to maintain his velocity over long starts. When he was in Colorado Springs, there were a lot of stories, but about his vast fastball velocity varying dramatically from start to start uh, into the fourth and fifth inning, it would start dropping and he doesn't have the frame in order to handle that, that stress very well. Now with that said, absolutely. He could potentially do it, but if he's so good in this rotation right now and the brewers have so many arms that are coming up through the system that could potentially be starters, I don't think this is going to be a situation in which they're so shaky in their starting rotation in a year or two that they have to be able to do it. So I think he's going to stay exactly where he is because that's where they can be most effective. And if he does move to the rotation and it doesn't work, you'd have to leave him in the rotation for long enough and potentially long enough to be ineffective over a long stretch of time before you move him back to the to the bullpen and I don't think that that's going to be something that they're willing to do yeah you'd have to truly let him fail there if you were going to make that move um and I mean he's still a high effort guy when he comes out for these relief appearances I it's not uncommon to see him throw I mean is he throwing close to 40 pitches when he covers two innings yeah he's been up over he's been close to 50 at various points and I don't think he's gone more than two innings I don't believe so now I think it's been but that's not a a sustainable number of pitches if no. you're starting, he has to, yeah, he does throw some pitches and that does require, that's why he's at, you know, he's only been in five games so far this year. Um, and one thing Craig Council said, he told Adam McAlvey this week uh, that one of the advantages that you have of using him the way they're using him is they get to pick when they use him right now. Whereas if he starts, that's, you know, he's facing the, the order, whatever is, is set up by the other manager, however many times until he's done. If he's closing, he's in the ninth inning for those three outs and wherever they happen to be in the, in the, in the lineup. Where he is now, they get to pick, well, this is the spot we want to get him in because it's the most high leverage or these are the batters that he can, you know, we really need him to, to take out of the game for us. They can use him that way as a much more effective weapon. And I think that's a really, really big point in why you want to keep him where he is as opposed to moving him to the rotation or to the closer's role because but you get to that's pick. The, and that's been the argument about a bullpen ace in general, right? I mean, that's not new for Hader. That's the exact argument for Andrew Miller. That's the exact argument that people have theoretically put in for kind of the, the high leverage ace in the bullpen. Um, and so, yeah, I think that this is exactly what the organization wants. And not only is this the, the kind of guy that they would want to go and get in free agent market, this is what, everybody was talking about for Andrew Miller or ideally what even like Brad hand could have been, uh, but they were able to, they were able to grow it. And the last point that I know that, that Steve wants to get to the next, to the next uh, point here. But I think if you're looking at what they're doing in the ninth inning, 
the fact that they were willing to use Taylor Williams in the ninth inning in a closing situation against the Cardinals shows that they're much more interested in matchups and they don't necessarily think that the ninth inning is something that some of their other guys can't handle. They have been willing to put tons of guys in the ninth inning. Josh Hader seen the ninth inning, even though he was, he was eventually pulled for Matt Albers. Uh, Taylor Williams has seen the ninth inning. Uh, Jacob Barnes has seen the ninth inning. JJ Hoover has seen the ninth inning. Dan Jennings uh, has seen the ninth Dan inning. Dan Jennings has seen the ninth. Like it's just something that they are going to go with the, with the ultimate matchup. And I think that they would like to have like Matt Albers or or Jacob Barnes be the closer that they could rely upon, uh, because it just kind of settles things down, and they don't necessarily have to be too much of a wild card in terms of what they're looking at. Uh, they don't have to worry about double switches earlier in the in in the game, but I, it's a very fungible situation. So no, I don't think that there is any appetite to move Hater there, other than when you know they could do double switch and let it go. Okay, so everybody kind of acknowledges that Hater's the relief ace, um, and and this is this is looking a ways down the road. But are are we going to see a guy who finally starts getting paid for being a a middle inning relief ace guy, as opposed to, you know because closers get paid once they start hitting arbitration. I think it's already trending in that direction. I think if you look at the the contracts that were given out, the Rockies handed out what you could consider three closer contracts this offseason to three relief pitchers. And obviously not all those guys are going to close. So you can already see that happening. There's already been movement in that direction. And, you know, Andrew Miller is going to get, he's a free agent after this year, I believe. He's going to get paid a ton by somebody to go do what he's doing. Um, I know he signed the current contract that he's on with the Yankees in a in a sort of a different situation where he was not I think they kind of thought he was going to be the closer at that point but um or was the closer in waiting at least but I think you're already seeing that movement and I think teams have gone past this magical thinking with you know you have to have that guy who gets you your last 3 outs so I would expect to see, you know, I don't know if Hater's going to get paid in arbitration because arbitration is so much based on precedent. Well, and that's the thing. Arbitration's behind the times compared to everything else. Like when And we, it, it always is. Yeah. yeah. So will he get paid in arbitration? I doubt it. And that's, you know, to the I don't word. know, but somebody has to break through at some point. Yeah, I mean, it will be interesting maybe if he has a good creative agent who could try to make a case. It's tough though because you really When people keep writing relief ace as his job title, yeah, but I mean, when arbitration, my understanding of arbitration is it is just all about precedent and like there's a very narrow scope of like it's hard to get, you know, it's hard to get anything into there that isn't, you know, RBIs and saves and wins and whatever. It's it's difficult. So, yeah. OK, we don't want to spend too much time on that because, like I said, that's a couple years out. So uh, we do have a Patreon question from K Caleb Kleinhans. Uh, with the Brewers starting pitching looking shaky, what are the chances they go out and get Chris Archer or a similar pitcher this summer? Is that the number one need for the team right now? JP, what do you think? Is is there a possibility of making a big trade like that? I think there's a potential that they could make a big trade. I don't think there's going to be any way that they can uh, they have the prospect currency to be able to go out and get an ace like, you know, whether it's Chris Archer or somebody else. Unless they were willing to move absolutely everybody at the top end. It's just... In what? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, what about if you, if you're talking about starting a package with Hira and Burns? You don't think that would get it done? I mean, it depends on what it depends on how much they're going to value value Hira, who is dealing with elbow injuries to the fact that he is now in the is basically DHing. Yeah, I well, it'll be interesting to watch. I I, I don't think the Brewers want to. I think it's more of an issue of the Brewers don't want to get rid of those guys. Oh, totally. But that's actually that's always going to be the case, too, because I think if they really wanted to go out and get somebody like that, of course, you could actually make that happen. But then you'd have to start trading from the big league squad. And like, I mean, teams in general can trade for pretty much anybody they want. It's just a matter of whether or not they're willing to blow up their big league squad to be able to do it. And if based on. Based on things that that uh, kind of are under the radar about um, Chris Archer and maybe what the Rays were looking for. Um, I don't think the Brewers have what it takes to be able to do that. Even and if they I, started with Huron Burns. 
I mean, maybe. But it, like, but Lewis Brinson wasn't a starter. It's true. Yeah, that. Yeah. I don't know. So it it depends on what it was. From what I had, from what I've I had heard about Chris Archer is that they wanted a young MLB producing youngster to be able to to headline it, and that's just something that the Brewers aren't going to be able to offer. Well, they had Domingo Santana, which apparently wasn't enough. Uh, he's <laughs> he's young. He's produced. I wish we had a, a video yeah, to show people of Breed's look at that. <laughs> hey, I, I'm not saying I would have done it if I was Tampa Bay. But I, I mean, w- I would also say Tampa Bay also said they wouldn't have done it if they were Tampa yeah, Bay. Yeah, clearly, you if know, they were Tampa Bay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're looking at Arcia or Arcia and Santana. I yeah, mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly, I just don't think they're a match. And I don't think, I don't think either of those guys are exciting enough probably to get it done. If if Arcia is able to turn things around at the plate because he is, his mechanics have been. I was going to say, talk about that a little bit because you've been saying that. Uh, it's a source he, of frustration. He's he's all over the place um, right now, and it's he's got too much movement. His he's you know the proverbial stepping into the bucket when he's he's coming forth with his with his stride. He does. He looks um, like a little leaguer with way his like legs are flailing around. And his, it's almost like he's starting at times is starting his uh, his leg kick and just hanging his leg until the the pitcher is actually starting. Uh, is starting his windup, and it's just a very, very odd timing mechanism. His hands are all over the place. His load is very is is long, and obviously he's got the natural hand eye coordination to potentially barrel things up once in a while. Has but he just pulled the ball? Of, has he pulled the ball for a hit this season? That it's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, I can't off the top of my head. Everything that pops into my head is either shot up the middle a little bit I or say, it feels like he has to the opposite field. He has two hits this year. They're game winners and they were, yeah, what? He has three both, game winners. Whatever. But they've been like opposite field hits. Well, one of them was literally, he just slapped it up over the first baseman's head. Yeah. I mean, against, uh, against Chicago. So I don't know. I mean, he's, we'll see. He plays great defense and that's his, that yeah. that uh, is but, solid. I mean, if you want to if you want to think about his batted ball profile this year, I mean, sixty three percent of the time he's hit it on the ground. He's only Ooh. pulled the ball one one fourth of the time. It doesn't necessarily have how many of those were hits, but uh, his soft hit percentage via Fangraphs on this is uh, over thirty four percent. So over one third of the time that he's actually making contact with the ball, it's uh, a quote unquote a soft uh, a soft contact. Um, and his hard, hard hit percentage is lower than it's ever been. Um, and it's just, it's not, it's not a good batter bro ball profile. And, and that in conjunction with the fact that his swing mechanics, it's basically his setup is, is all over the place. His hand load is all over the place. And once in a while, if the timing works, he's able to put it together, but he's just, he's got so much movement that for the timing to work, it's almost, it's like. It's basically like a golfer who's just got who's whose uh, club is in the zone for such a short amount of time that if the if the timing is perfect, maybe you can put it together for a round or two. But just the likelihood that that happens is so small because it just has so small of a margin for error. And he needs to be able to get to where he was at the end of last year where he was able to put it together for a long period of time. And he's got it in him. It's just a matter of, you know, hopefully making some adjustments or getting into the groove of things a little bit more. Um, I guess b- before we move on, uh, tell me one thing uh, nice about or- uh, Orlando Arcia uh, so we can end on a high note with him, I guess. I love his hair right now. Um, and I think that his ability to make the difficult play look extremely easy is still one of the most things to watch with him defensively. I was going to say, I like watching him spin. <laughs> him spinning is great. It's fantastic. Uh, I never get tired of him making a spin throw. Because it's almost always on target. So yeah, no, he's still a good defensive player, even if there's still sources of frustration when he uh, tries to make too difficult to play. So uh, Jason Donlinger asks, worried about bronze, worried about bronze start, or as long as he's healthy, uh, will he eventually get going? Well, you'd think so. Um, I'm not enough of an expert on this sort of thing, but I, I'm going to throw it to JP. Is he cheating to get to the power? Because we've now seen him hit three home runs and do very little else in the way of of making good contact with the ball other than those three home runs. Is he cheating to get to that power at this point? Is he 
is he getting ahead of himself to to be able to load up and and hit for that power? No. <laughs> Could you go on? <laughs> I. What do you mean? Like he's he's no, he's not cheating. He's not starting his load or starting the bat early to get out ahead. Okay, so he is. So that's not a concern then. Okay, no. so you then think that we're in we're in good shape that way. Uh, yes. I mean, his batting average on balls and plays one sixty. I mean, it's it's going to be okay. There and you he's go. got what three home runs, and I think they've all been like high fastballs. Yeah, that is that is yeah. That's they've true. they've all been high fastballs, and like two of the three have been opposite field. Yes, like I mean, we haven't really seen that that classic brawn, you know, where he takes one low and away and like puts it up in the upper deck and left field or anything like that yet. Um, I mean, largely it's so to kind of break it down a little bit more since we're looking at batted ball profiles and trying to to correlate it here. His hard hit percentage is over thirty five percent. His career average is thirty six percent. His soft uh, his soft percentage. If we were talking about Orlando Arcia, that was about thirty six percent or whatever I said it was. His is only twenty. He's he's actually pulling the ball a little bit more, which uh, I I take the point there. But he's not making any worse contact. He's not rolling over the ball anymore. His infield fly ball rate is not higher. Um, I think it's just a matter of the fact that right now he's just it's just not really working and basically what we're talking about 10 games uh, for 14 him? 15 well for well, him yeah, though, he's, he's only him, yeah he's he, he has missed a couple 12 12 games for him yeah so okay i'm i'm going to not worry about this then fantastic That's, i'm glad you have made my mind easier on the subject no i mean they, they are clearly they have a schedule for keeping ryan braun healthy oh yeah yeah, and they they seem to be very because dedicated even, to it. Even, even when with limited outfield depth, when Kane's down and and Yelich is still on the DL, he got his off day. He did. He did. So I I think they they have a plan with Braun going forward. They're going to keep him healthy, and yeah, it's probably just a matter of let's let the season play out because we're still in April and the weather is horrible. Yeah, pretty much everywhere well, unless it's, it's Miller Park. It's also like if you were expecting him to try a little bit too hard or get the bat started a little bit early, then you would expect his swing percentage at non-strikes to be higher. Um, and it's actually lower than his career average. His swinging strike rates uh, just about le- just about his career average. He's actually swinging far less than he's ever like only 46 percent, which is quite low for him. Um, the last, I think, four years has been over 50 percent in terms of his swing rate. It's just. I think right now what he's doing is he's actually being a little bit too passive. I think he's getting behind in the count. He's not actually swinging at enough first first pitches. Um, I mean, his first his first pitch strike percentage right now is about seventy five percent, and I think he's just getting behind and then not necessarily being able to attack the balls that he wants to be able to attack. Yeah. So uh, next question is from Kevin Schmidt. Any optimism on what you've seen from VR? Uh, he had zero walks, uh, but I feel like. I've had less of an urge to claw my eyes out after his at-bat so far this season. And VR has been an interesting one because we were talking about it one day. He was hitting like 300 and he had like a 600 OPS, which means he's probably hit all singles and like he's not Kevin taking said, walks. yeah, he hasn't taken a walk yet. So, I, I mean, what's the value of that? I mean, it's been a lot of, there's been some infield hits. There have been some bleeders that have just gotten through. There have been some bloopers over the head of the infield. We haven't really seen him drive the ball the way that, when Jonathan VR was really good in 2016, he was consistently driving the ball into the gaps, into, you know, out of the park. Like, he was hitting for power. We haven't seen that yet. Yes, it's nice to see what he's doing right now. But before I would say anything like, well, Jonathan VR is back, I would need to see the ball be driven on a consistent basis the way that he was doing in 2016. Because so far, that's not what we're seeing from him. So it's... You know, obviously, you'd rather have this. You'd rather have those those bloops and things that the bleeders fall in and create hits. You'd rather have that, but it's not. I don't think we're out of the woods yet in terms of it's, in terms of what his future looks like. For a guy that struggled, it's nice to see some fake numbers instead of like you know something that starts with a one and then everybody hates him because it looks ugly and it's not good. 
Right. And at least I think they need to get him in the lineup. And this at least provides some cover and some plausible, you know, like deniability, I guess. I mean, <laughs> like it creates some cover for council to be able to continue to run him out there. Um, because I certainly don't think Sogard doesn't offer. Sogard is sort of like at his best. He's like the this version of Jonathan VR. You know what I mean? Like when Sogard looks good, this is sort of his ceiling is what VR is doing right now. Well, Sogard has better at bats where he'll draw walks and just kind of be annoying. That's where true. VR's, I mean, VR took his walks that. in 2016 too. I mean, he, yeah, that, that guy, he had a walk rate that was at least seven, eight, nine percent. I mean, it was, it was he, 11.6. There you go. I mean, he was not time. that I have his stats up or anything. <laughs> I, I mean, do you have a little bit of hope for VR right now, JP? I think one of VR's biggest issues last year is I think you could see it as the year went along. I think he lost a lot of confidence. Um, and I think the fact that he was able to put together good, good, uh, good numbers in spring in terms of spring camp. And now he started off hitting 300. I think that that is the best case scenario for him to feel good um, at the plate. But in terms of the underlying numbers, it doesn't look great. Uh, I mean, basically his, it, you're, it's all soft contact. It's all infield hits. It's all bleeders that are going through that he's getting, you know, kind of the singles off of. He's, I agree with Brian completely. He's not driving the ball. Um, his swing looks a little bit better from, from the left side of the plate, but he's not any more patient. Um, you know, his strikeout rate and his swinging strike rate are, are just as high as they were last year, which is a, a market increase from where it was in 2016. And yeah, I don't think it's a, it's not a great profile. I think if there is anything, and this might be a, this might be an opinion that not a lot of people share, I suppose, but I actually think he's looked better defensively at second base. I was just going to ask. So, so, I mean, I guess what's, what's the thoughts on VR at second this season or is that encouraging? Because that was an adventure last year. It was an adventure, especially early, I think. And that's what stands out in people's mind is he was, he had a rough transition to doing it on a, a daily basis early on. Um, I, yeah, I think he's fine at, at second base. I've seen him make some good plays there where he's having to range a little bit and, and get to a ball and then make a play on it. He has had, what is he at two errors so far? I mean, he's, he's had some mistakes as well, which I'm sure stand out in people's minds, but I, I do think that there's been an improvement there though. Again, going back to the second half of last year, I think we, we saw some of that already. So it was it was more about his rough transition last year than it is about a major step forward this year. You want to make a prediction for VR going forward? No, no. <laughs> I'm, any I'm ideas? The, I'm out of the job. We have VR prediction. Do we business. have any idea what VR is going to be? No, I, I mean, I just I have no clue. I, it could be a guy who catches lightning in a bottle again for a little bit. It could just be he's Eric Sogard, but doesn't walk very much. Oof, that would be I mean, rough. I, well, I mean, that's what he was last year. Basically, right? I mean, it's it's not it's not a wonderful situation for for VR unless he starts taking better at bats or if he starts driving the ball. And if that starts happening, then he can be an absolute dynamic piece. But um, right now, I, I mean, I I certainly am not saying that Jonathan VR can't turn it around, but right now it basically looks like a waiting game until they're able to get Mauricio Dubon up at second base. Would he would VR benefit from just being a shortstop since that is his natural position? I don't think so, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know that for sure, but I don't. And I'm think not. It's I'm anything. not advocating like moving Arcia or anything like that. I'm yeah, just saying no, like maybe I don't. He's... I don't think it's a situation in which he's been that his mind has been taken off of his hitting by trying to transition defensively. Um, I don't think that's been been the issue at all. I think it's just a matter of the fact that I think that his 2016 just might have been a little fluky. Um, Boy, there's a lot of power there for that to be a complete fluke. Well, absolutely. I mean, but we said that about the the walk rate, and that's completely degraded. We said that about the power, that's completely degraded. I'm, I mean, I get that it was once there, but we've seen plenty of players that have had it be there once and then were never, never able to, to replicate it where it clicks. Yeah. And then it goes away. And that's sure. not to say that it can't again. Right. And maybe, 
I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe it's somebody he needs to work with a swing coach. Maybe it's just a simple timing change. Maybe it's, you know, a couple of drills that he needs to find where it just all of a sudden the feel clicks. I just think he doesn't, I think he's basically zapping all of his power by losing all of his load. And, and it's just a really tough situation where right now he's just not being able to create the angles that are necessary in his swing to be able to hit for power. All right. Okay, uh, Mike Tracy uh, had a Taylor Williams question, and this is actually a couple of weeks old because he asked it about when Yelich was put on the DL. So I, I guess the crux of this is, and we, we, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but is, is Williams the kind of guy who could end up being a closer uh, for this team? Yes. I mean, do we think that's kind of a likely destination for him? I mean, I the interesting thing about Taylor Williams is I think he can, but I think there are multiple players in the Brewers that could right I mean it's I think he's got the stuff to be able to be very effective but so does so does Jacob Barnes so does Matt Albers so does Hauser yeah I mean well and he but he's back starting now but but yes, do you think absolutely. Williams stuff plays better than those guys or is he just kind of on their level talent wise stuff wise I think right now until he's able to show over a long period of time that he can throw strikes right now he's just kind of on on their level but he's got a little bit more uh ability to be a better pitcher than those guys i don't know if i would say that about jacob barnes I no, mean, no, no jacob no. bar i'm jacob talking about bar taylor williams i know but i don't think that i wouldn't say that i think he has the chance to be markedly better than than jacob barnes i mean they both kind of have the same issue if jacob barnes is throwing strikes jacob barnes stuff is way better than taylor williams for me like jacob barnes stuff is just dynamic and but obviously his Jacob Barnes's mechanical issues are the fact that he's too quick. And partially that's just a function of how he pitches, but that creates a lot of problems for him to be to be consistent. Um, so for me, no, but I think that's not to say that I don't think he can start. I think he absolutely can. He's just got a little bit to prove in terms of his his command to be able to do that long term. Ryan, what's your view on Taylor Williams long term? Yeah, I think he's one of the many candidates that they have for high leverage pitching going forward. And that's, I'm excited to see it develop and see if he can, like JP was saying, like if he can get the consistent command and be in the strike zone enough, I think he can be a, a lights out guy that you want in the toughest situations. But is this, is this a situation though? And this is more of like a, a, a long-term thing because Manfred said this recently in which he said that the, the relievers are becoming too good. <laughs> and it, I mean, and yeah, I, I, you know, we can make fun of it all, all you want, but like we see it with the Cardinals. We see it with the pirates. We see it even with the Brewers, everybody that's coming up is throwing up our nineties with a huge hook. Yeah. Like it's true. It, is this a situation? Not, I don't know. I'm not saying like change, change the rules or anything, but like, is Taylor Williams that unique? It seems to me that, I don't know, there are plenty of guys that are going to be coming up that are going to be throwing just absolute gas or could potentially, I mean, I don't know if you put Cody Medeiros in as a reliever, is Cody Medeiros better than Taylor Williams? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. that It's quite possible. I mean, um, Adrian, Hauser, Adrian Hauser might be better than Taylor Williams. Well, especially from the perspective that I think Hauser is going to be maybe a little bit better at being able to go multiple innings and perhaps turn a lineup over. So he's maybe more likely to start or he is more likely to start. Well, so yeah, he's got absolutely. more of a ceiling that way. Will Will Major League Baseball do something about the way teams are able to juggle bullpens to basically limit that so they can't maximize? What you know, are they going to do? I mean, what do you want? I well, mean, I, Manfred said that they're they're talking about limiting the number of relievers you can use per inning. So you're going to potentially make teams have to overthrow a reliever because they have they can't make a, a change in the. I mean, let's stop crying for every guy that has to go out and pitch. I know you like to think no, no, that no, they're I'm all going like, to fall apart. You're going to, but you're going to hurt guys if you impose those kind of rules. Well, but JP JP said like all these guys are throwing upper nineties. You're going to have guys that are going to have to learn how to basically not come in and just unload on every pitch. I mean, maybe. Well, maybe you, that's you the roll your eyes and that shake might be your the, head. No, no, no. I mean, no that might be like the, a crazy thing to say. Hey, that, you can't go out there and fire ninety. You know, ninety five. Is every it? Is throw. it and is it a situation in which it's really bad? For, I mean, I get that managing or playing the matchups is great, but 
was it really that great when the when the Mets in the eighth inning decided to bring in Jerry Blevins for one in for one batter and then they brought in a righty for one batter and then they had uh you know they they brought in AJ Ramos for a batter prior to that and they used four pitchers in the same inning. Yeah, that was that definitely ground the game to a halt. But I mean, I don't know that the solution to any of these things, if you're going to impose these restrictions and these rules, that any of them are actually going to be are they're going to work and they're going to be worth it. I mean, do you want to, there's always something weird to me about forcing an artificial situation where you are making a manager employ a suboptimal uh, strategy. You're going to make an, a manager say here, you cannot do what you would like to do. That would be the most effective thing you can well, do. In a hold, situation. On, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. It's not like rules. Yeah. It's not like there aren't substitution rules that exist. You're making it sound like making a rule about a substitution it's, is something right. that's totally wild. And there are plenty well, what, of rules. What, what substitution it, rules are it, there? So, it, okay, let's a take A guy the leaves exact, a game, can't come back exact, in. No, let's take the exact same thing against, uh, let's take the situation against the Mets, right? I mean, so they decided to actually go ahead and substitute uh, Eric Sogard. So they brought in a lefty. The Brewers could not then take Sogard out of the game and substitute a righty to, to hit. Wait, what? Repeat that. <laughs> so after you declare a pinch hitter, and then the and then the 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 pitching change happens. I mean, maybe I am incorrect on this, but is my understanding that after you declare a pinch hitter, you cannot pull them before they go in and hit? No, you can. You may pull a pinch hitter. So it's in the rules. You can't. Right. A pitcher has to face at least one batter when they're announced. Yeah, once they're announced, you can pull them back. Once they're announced, you can't pull them back once they're announced. You can pull a guy back before. No, you can pull them once they're announced. Like you, you can, can be pull in the- mid at bat. Mm. Yeah, you can. You can pull mid at bat. The rule is pitchers have to face at least one batter. They have to conclude at least once a pitcher's in. You can't have a pitcher a pitching change. The guy comes out. They make a a, a substitution that way, and you pull back the pitcher. Pitchers have to face one guy. Batters do not. You can you can announce a, a pinch hitter and then. Uh, you can pull them before they ever even so see a pitch. So if you do pull them, are th- is that are they basically then out of the game and you cannot use them after that? Yeah, yeah, because they were in the game. Once they were announced, they're in the game, and then they're pulled before they ever did anything. But yeah, you can... Fair enough. Uh, but I also do think that uh, rather than limiting the number of pitchers that you can use per inning, I do think that there is some merit to saying that you have to use a pitcher for more than one hitter in an inning unless it's to conclude... In, unless it's to conclude an inning. I think there's absolute merit to that. Unless it's to conclude an inning. So if a guy comes in, gets his one out, and then he, the inning's over. If you can... bring in a guy with two, two, two outs in the inning and then he gets the guy out, there's nothing that's going to stop you from changing it over. But if you bring in Jerry Blevins for one inning, for, for with one out, and he pitches against one batter, I think that there is absolutely some merit in saying that he can't. you can't just bring in a guy for one for one uh for one batter and then all of a sudden he has to to leave again i think that absolutely could be a way to alleviate the issues that you're talking about in which you'd have to throw a guy until he breaks if the inning keeps going but you're trying to limit the amount of pitching changes so then the rule would be he has to face at least two batters instead of the current one any pitcher that comes in has to face at least two batters unless it's an inning ends whatever you know ultimately my question was is there going to be a way they manage the ability to just bring shuttle guys back and forth from triple a like because as long as you can do that, you can keep a bullpen pretty fresh. Yeah, and like, that's that that seems that seems like more of a way that like is creating these guys who can come out and really throw with max effort all the time because you have this ability to sh- when you're shuttling guys back and forth, basically get more guys to cover more innings. But listen to what you just said. That's how they can keep guys fresh, which four pitchers means healthy well but he was talking about you know manfred was saying there are too many guys coming out and throwing 90 plus and it's getting too hard to hit late in these games yeah i think to an extent that's probably correct again Um, if guys have to that's the entire theory about bullpenning though is that bullpen bullpen arms are going to have more success than guys pitching earlier i mean that's literally the entire theory about it but to make it functionally work within the constructs of 162 game season where you're playing basically most days you have to be able to shuffle guys from triple a up and down i know but you're opera you're operating under the assumption that every guy has to go out and throw max effort at all times which they can do when you have so many arms that you can rotate through 
I'm saying if you're if you limit the number of guys that you can constantly bring in, these guys are going to have to learn how to throw. Not you know they can't throw max effort at all times. Well, you're also just going to get a bunch of guys hurt in that effort. That's why I'm saying they can't throw max effort. They have to learn how to be pitchers as opposed but in to the guys. Process who just, of learning that you're going to get a bunch of guys hurt. No, I, even if they no, can eventually. Oh my I god, baseball has existed for how long? And you're saying guys are going to get hurt because in this five year period they completely forgot how to pitch more than two batters. That's well, no. ridiculous. No, no, You're no. being there's absurd. No, there's no reliever who the, can't the idea. Pitch. You think that hold all on, these guys on, are so on, fragile on, and everybody's going to get hurt all on. the time? Seriously, hold on. like hold toughen on. up a little bit. Hold on. Oh my god. Okay, it's not that they can't. There's no pitcher in the major leagues that I know of who can't go two, three, four batters in a row. It's the question of the cumulative effect of having to do that day in day out all the time if you start limiting how many trips you can make from triple air to whatever and and teams are now having to cover more with their bullpen you're going to mandate a situation where these guys have to well but they cover more with their more pitches but they cover more with their bullpen because they have the ability to shuffle guys in and out and they can you know pull bullpen it's a chicken or it's a chicken but i'm saying if you force teams to say you don't get all of the bullpen pitchers you want at all times you need to get starters that can cover six plus innings uh, that's going to basically limit that how do you get starters who can cover six plus innings in a in this environment you can't you're that'll burn guys out too. It I mean, hasn't been that long since guys went six innings with right, but nobody. Hey, look at the pitches per plate appearance and look at what hitters are taught to do now. Every hitter who comes through is being taught you have to grind pitchers, you have to grind at bats, you have to go well, out there. Hold and on, see. hold on. This is that it used to be guys would go up. No, hold on. They then don't we like, see doesn't major league need to adjust the zone? That that's probably the most that's probably the best option. Is doing something with that where you're you're changing the strike zone so that pitchers uh, have a, a a tighter area to throw into a looser area to throw into. No, a tighter area. You don't want pitchers to have a tighter area. No, I would say Steve Steve is suggesting making the the strike zone bigger so you force guys to have to swing better, or swing early. Yeah, guys have to swing more often. You're talking about you're talking about tightening the zone, right? And yeah, so you're talking about different things when you're talking about adjusting the strike zone. Yes. I'm saying a larger strike zone means that pitchers can more easily get outs. Therefore, they don't have as many high pitch count innings. They aren't going as many pitches per at-bat. Right, and then what's going to come along with that is you're going to see a major downturn in offense in the game, and that's going to be counter to what you're sure but do. when when major league baseball is constantly talking about how they want to shorten up games uh, yes when you're scoring a ton of runs games are going to get long so if major league baseball wants to shorten games they're going to have to give in some other area which means yeah you're probably not going to see as many runs scored i mean what they ultimately what's going to need to happen is they have to shorten the time in between pitches and that's that means a pitch clock and that's coming well or, that doesn't matter when you're talking about guys just throwing more pitches though if pitchers are throwing more, more, more pitches, more and more pitches. Well, no, but if you if you decrease the amount of time in between those pitches, I, I you agree. Can also but you're what you're suggesting goal. isn't going to bring it back to levels of the early '80s for a game. Well, we're time. not trying to achieve some sort of magical like we need to bring it back to some sort of thing in the past. What they need to do is find a way that it's going to. Work. You just read that Grant Brisby article, and that's all you're citing right now. I'm just saying that was only two games that like the number of pitches matched up exactly. So I will. I will say, and before, you know, because I, you know, I've listened to you guys argue for the last five minutes, um, <laughs> is that we have had a situation in which Ryan has said that we cannot create a situation in which they have to pitch more at less, you know, with less max effort scenario because they're going to have to learn to do that and that could potentially cause injuries but we've had the entire argument that guys pitching max effort has actually caused more injuries in the first place so the whole the whole issue is that that pitching injuries happen and it's about trying to maximize uh kind of both the viewability of the game trying to maximize the speed in which the game happens and also trying to maximize something in which you don't have relievers absolutely dominating games anymore. It's about trying to find a max between the two. And yes, we could absolutely say, just keep the status quo because that's what we're used to and just watch all of these things happen. And I understand all of these things, but it's any change that you make period is going to have adverse effects that people are going to have to listen to or adjust to. And there could be injuries. 
but that absolutely discounts the fact that there are a high amount of injuries exactly as things are right now. And you're not going to create more injuries by changing things. They're just going to be injuries for potentially different reasons. Can you accept that, Ryan? Have we come to a point where we can all agree? <laughs> sure. For world peace. Let's let's agree. Okay. Uh, on that, we're going to end it for this week's show. Uh, JP, do you want to give the uh, thanks to the patrons this week? I was I I completely lost track of time and like for all I knew we'd been recording for two hours. Um, so <laughs> it kind of felt like it there for a, a <laughs> little did, bit. It did uh, that was so basically just I, a phone call between me and Steve for a few minutes there, where we were just yelling at each other. <laughs> I actually was trying to cut in as much as I could, and there was just absolutely no opportunity to do it. Um, but so a huge thanks to Michael Heitkamp, uh, Adam Weiser, and PB Brew Crew. Um, thanks to everybody who gives us an opportunity to do this. Thanks to everybody who subscribes to the to the Minor League Extra podcast as well. Ryan and I always enjoy doing that. Um, so huge thanks, everybody. But of course, Steve is going to let you know how you can uh, can subscribe if you'd like to do that. Yeah, I'll do that. And just a reminder to everybody, we, we'll still take the Minor League questions if you want to send them into this podcast. Sure. Uh, the minor league podcast is going to focus exclusively on it. You get a lot deeper dive, but you know, there's some pretty basic stuff that if people want to send that in here, we'll, we'll generally get through some of that. I think it's partially about guys who are closer to the big leagues. Yeah. Well, guys who might have some kind of impact on the major league roster in the immediate future, obviously Um, those are going to be the guys we'll probably discuss a little bit more. And, you know, I think we'll probably still do like the minor league top 10 list and stuff like that here. Yeah. I I don't see the reason why we wouldn't, but that stuff's all just getting underway, and they mostly get, I think they're getting, what, like 12 inches of snow up in Appleton this week? Yeah. So I don't <laughs> think the Timber Rattlers are going to play much uh, in the next week. Unless they're so. on the road. I'm not sure exactly what the schedule is. I don't uh, know. They're going to have to tune enough to They're, they're going to have to travel a long ways to, I think, get any kind of weather that's going to be worth playing in. It's going to be, it's, oh, it's snowing. I just noticed that. Yeah, a Fantastic. little bit. So, uh, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. Patrons at the Ball and Glove level will receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast. And as always, follow us on Twitter at tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and in the Google Play Store. You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. They're all going to get hurt. They are. Oh, God. They're all going to get hurt doing exactly what they're doing now. Well, hey, hey, <laughs> hey, Jim, do you remember that era when pitchers didn't get hurt? <laughs> it yeah, was a magical actually, time. They just, they just absolutely pitched through it for 300 innings yeah. and then threw 80 miles an hour. <laughs> their careers, <laughs> end, their careers ended their when arm, they were 24, but yeah. Because their, their arms couldn't function. Yeah, I did that once. I went and looked at like every World Series. You threw series. 300 innings? And <laughs> I looked at <laughs> every World I looked at every World Series winner, and it was amazing how many of these guys you're like, oh, look, there was a guy on that team who was like 23 who was like their no shit ace. Yeah. And like, I've never heard of him before because he was done when he was like 25. Yeah. So like that was that for a long time. Well, when you didn't have to pay anybody anything, like you could do that. You could just, you know, mangle arms. I think, yeah, I was going to say, I think it was much more of the fact that like Tommy John surgery didn't exist. And they were like, well, there goes your UCL. Get a new one. Get a new pitcher in. Let's go. Hopefully you live your next life okay and workers comp doesn't exist. So I hey, yeah, like I remember the Jim Booten thing. Go learn to throw a knuckleball. Basically. Well, yeah. When they say, oh, nobody throws a knuckleball anymore. Well, it's like, well, guys can go get surgery and their arms work again. So <laughs> yeah. that, there's a, the that helps. Anymore. I mean. We grew well, up. It is funny because Ari Dickey, the last big knuckleballer that we had, mm-hmm. you know why that whole thing happened. You didn't have a UCL. Yeah. I know. That was the whole joke about the new market efficiency was just not having a UCL. <laughs> That's right. You know, but we Can't. we grew up in an era where guys would 
blow out their shoulder or blow out their elbow, and that was it. Like, How they didn't nice come back. How nice is it that we, like, sh- big shoulder injuries, other than pitchers sliding back into first, God damn it. Like, like that's largely... That's a thing of the past. You don't have that nearly as much. Because I remember... Oh, it used to like, be your rotator cuff and guys were done. Yeah, and you were just... Ben Sheets shredded his shoulder in the cause, and, like, that was it. Bye-bye. Like, how much, how, much of the, how much of that do you think it's the fact that um, guys are putting... Guys have changed their mechanics to put more stress on their elbow? It might be. I also have heard that the way pitchers work out now is much more... They use the bands, like the plyometric things and doing yeah, yeah. that. So they strengthen, yeah. and there's been an effort to strengthen the shoulder without, you know, pitchers, I don't think, do the, like, the, you know, they're not bench pressing out there. Like, they're doing other stuff to increase the strength yeah, because it's, it keeps the shoulder You know, when healthier. you look at a lot of those those pitchers from the 80s, you can see a lot of the guys who did the, the lunge, and then you'd see them come way over the top, and you'd see them put, like, a lot of stress on that shoulder when they were in their yeah. delivery, where now there's so much focus on, you know, your balance, your stride to the plate. You aren't well, going over the top. About, you're coming more of that three quarters, yeah. you know, to it kind of keep everything. It all be about cool. plane instead of movement, right? Yeah. Like you had to get on top of it. Um, but there's also a situation, too, that, Ryan, if you're actually really concerned about pitching injuries, is you just make it illegal to throw anything but fastball and changeup. Is Has anybody proven that, like, curveballs and sliders and uh, splitters or whatever actually increase the rate of injury? Yeah. That's been proven. Well, I don't uh, by non-proprietary information. So the best that we can, it shows a correlation to the fact that the more sliders and curveballs you throw, that the more likely you are going to spend time on the DL. Oh, it does. Okay, didn't know that. All right, well that's yeah. So so we should outlaw we should outlaw all but, change. But those are the curveballs. Let me let me create a straw man here. If you're actually concerned about injuries, that's which Steve's job, Steve's job is no, straw man. Your your number one concern is always injuries. I whatever, but only, but only injuries for the Brewers. No, I care about all injuries. That's not <laughs> I'm true. Ecumenical. I've heard you wish. Pe- I've heard you wish people <laughs> I mean, the Cardinals to get injuries. I try so not to do that. I do try not to do that because <laughs> it's also bad karma. You do that and get shit right on. It, it, that's that's just bad. You, yeah. See, so even then, your biggest issue with w- wishing injuries on those teams is the fact they could come back on you. Not yes. the fact that yeah, not the fact that I'm actually worried about being like a good person. It's it, it's all it all it ultimately just comes back to me not wanting like bad things to happen to my teams. Yeah, of course. 